Sure. Sleep, Cindy. Would you like to sing with me? Go to sleep. Welcome to Arnie Geddon. I'm Cam Smith. And I'm Tony G. And we're here this week for one of Arnie's biggest hits of all time, The Sixth Day. Oh my goodness, I can't wait to go through this. This is from the year 2000. Now, you know, for those of you too young to remember, the year 2000 was a year of possibilities where just the future had arrived technology was taking over we had just dodged the y2k bullet that's right that's right and movies had gone cyberpunk so you had things you know like johnny mnemonic i think was a couple years earlier but you had all these like uh paycheck the john woo movie coming out shortly after like it was a time for cyber thrillers of course the matrix of course yeah in 1999 and i think you can see some shades of the matrix in the sixth day yeah, we'll get into that. Yeah, so, Tony, before we even jump into this, The Sixth Day is not one of Arnold's most well-known movies, so for those who haven't seen it, what is it about? Well, Arnold Schwarzenegger plays uh, a uh, everyman helicopter pilot, Adam Gibson. <laughs> everyman helicopter yeah. pilot. So everyman extreme snowboarder <laughs> tour helicopter pilot. Very rich, too. He finds himself embroiled in a scheme and on the run as possibly, we're not really sure, Either he's been cloned and has been implanted into his family, or perhaps he's the clone. Right, and it's sort of the scheme being run by a Tony Goldwyn's character, Michael Drucker, who is, I guess, inspired by Steve Jobs. At this point, I'm kind of tired, just in my life, of every time there's an evil kind of tech millionaire in a movie, people saying he's inspired by Steve Jobs, but that seems to be the case again this time. Yeah, I mean, I will say Tony Goldwyn is kind of like the poor man's Bob Saget. Tony Goldwyn, though, was really going through a bit of a career resurgence in this uh, kind of, at this kind of point in time. It was mm -hmm. a very brief one, but, you know, he obviously had a big hit in Ghost in the movie 1990, but he never right. really got the heat off of that movie. But in uh, 1999, he plays the lead character in Disney's Tarzan, which is a big hit and actually a really good movie. One of the better Tarzan movies. And then he follows it up with a big baddie performance against Arnold Schwarzenegger the next year. And then it was uh, <laughs> all downhill from there. But, uh, you know, Tony Goldwyn for 99 and 2000, those were his years. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I keep waiting for the, the third era of Tony Goldwyn. But, I mean, as far as what this movie... <laughs> the Goldwyn age. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, Metro Goal, never mind. Uh, you know, and as far as what this movie's actually about, it of course explores... Did you know he won a Goldwyn Globe for this performance? <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> it's a little early in the podcast for those kind it's of true. jokes. Can't... And as Arnold Schwarzenegger explores various clones and laser guns, uh, he also explores existential themes on the meaning of life, and what it is to be a human. Right. And I actually think it's kind of interesting in this movie, Schwarzenegger references God a lot. Like, his character is obviously has religious beliefs. And it's interesting that this was his movie follow-up to um, The End of Days, in which his character rediscovered his faith throughout the course of the movie. So right. You could also have a bit of a meta-narrative here of, uh, this is the same character, you know, at a different time. Although, spoiler alert, and for those of you just joining us... Mm -hmm. uh, who are starting off your voyage with Arnie Geddon with the sixth day. <laughs> uh, 
and on the sixth day, God said to listen to Arnie Geddon. That's right. We will, of course, be spoiling the movie. So um, if you haven't done so already, please go out and watch it so you can join us on this voyage of philosophical Schwarzenegger. Right. So back in the year 2000, Tony, did you see this movie? I sure did. I saw this movie in the theater. Did you? At this time, I was still a big uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger fan. Uh, I think I saw every Schwarzenegger movie in the theater up to uh, Terminator 3 before he kind of took a bit of a hiatus. Right. How about you? Uh, Yeah, I saw this movie, actually not in theaters though, but right when it hit home video. Um, I have absolutely no idea why I didn't see it in theaters. I saw tons of movies in theaters at this point in time. I mean, I was... 20 years old or 19 that's all my friends and i did was go to movies and i have absolutely no idea why we didn't go see this because we loved arnold schwarzenegger movies well it's good to hear that you didn't watch this one on tbs like you have every other movie on our (laughs) podcast on the tough guy thursdays but i do remember we rented it probably the week it was released on video if not the week you know the second week like right away and i don't really have a lot of memories of it i just remember we watched it i don't think any of us disliked it but i don't think any of us were over the moon, and I definitely haven't seen it since before this rewatch. We'll have to go back and check your sin cord. <laughs> I mean, were you a fan of this movie at the time? I remember the, at the time this movie did not get great reviews. Right. And I remember going to see it with fairly low expectations and thinking that people were being unnecessarily hard on this movie. Right, yeah. I recall feeling similarly. Like, I recall watching it and thinking, like, that was okay. I don't really know why this movie was a bomb. Yeah, I mean, this certainly was no Terminator 2. It was certainly no Predator. But I remember watching it and being, that that was an entertaining film. Schwarzenegger did a pretty good job. I don't know why everyone hated it so much. I wonder if for me, part of the reason I didn't run out to see it was I'd seen End of Days the year earlier, and I wasn't a fan of it. And so maybe I just was like, eh. Well, we're going to get a chance to revisit that one. I'm looking forward to that too. Likewise. I don't really trust a lot of my opinions of the movies from that, you know, that late 90s, 2000s period because it's like, who knows what I was watching. I was, I was loving all sorts of crap at that point in my life. So I am very curious to revisit those. But, you know, we said this movie didn't really do well. This movie was kind of a disaster. It was released in like December of 2000. Uh, this movie cost $82 million, of which Arnold Schwarzenegger got $25 million. Pretty good payday for Arnold. Pretty good. Now, the movie made $35 million domestic. Well, that's okay, isn't it? <laughs> Not really. Uh, and then combined domestic and uh, international, it made 96 worldwide, which is pretty bad. Um, opening weekend, it opened at fourth place behind How the Grinch Stole Christmas, Rugrats in Paris, <laughs> and Charlie's Angels... In its third weekend. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. And so, that's kind of grim. But then I was like, okay. But overall for the year, because, you know, nowadays movies make so much more than they did then, right? Like, it must have done okay for the year. Well, for the year of 2000, it ranks 73rd <laughs> between two classics, The Skulls. I don't know if you remember that one. Vaguely. Yeah, and 13 Days, which I think is at least good, but it was definitely a bomb. It was a Kevin Costner movie uh, involving JFK. Yeah, I remember that one as well. Vaguely. Uh, But it was beaten for that year by the movies (laughs) Flintstones in Viva Rock Vegas (laughs) (laughs) and Pokemon the Movie 2000. Well, 
so needless to say the sixth day was not the box office success they were hoping for no and um you know the top five of that year just for a general idea as to what people were going to the movies to see in the year 2000 the movies starting at number one were the grinch who stole christmas was the biggest hit of the year followed by castaway the tom hanks movie mission impossible 2 which i don't know if you remember mission impossible 2 is definitely the weakest of the group but the marketing on that movie was just incredibly effective. A lot of doves flying out of flames. Big time. And Tom Cruise hair flipping. And then in fourth place, we had Gladiator. And then in fifth, the Mel Gibson comedy, What Women Want. <laughs> well, that's a good top five. <laughs> yeah. But the movie, not only was it a box office bomb, the uh, cinema score, which takes the opinions of moviegoers and then assigns a letter grade, moviegoers gave it a C. Which means moviegoers didn't even like this movie. Well, and, lots of pass C's get degrees. <laughs> and it walked away with three Razzie nominations for the year. For Worst Actor, Worst Supporting Actor, and Worst Screen Couple. All three for Schwarzenegger. As funny as the Razzies are, uh, if, and as accurate as they are, and applicable as they are to some movies, uh, I don't put a lot of stock in the Razzies. It was all, I mean, this movie was also nominated for four Saturn Awards. Right. Uh, didn't win any of them, and I don't know how much value you put in the Saturn Award. All the value. Almost as much as the Goldwyn Globes. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, this movie did have at least some recognition, and uh, and did ha- it did have a certain level of competence to it that I don't yeah. think... I don't And Schwarzenegger, I don't think, really warranted uh, a Razzie nomination or a... No, that or, just felt like kicking a guy when he's down, you know. Exactly. Obviously the movie bombed, but... It's not that bad. I think uh, the Flintstones in Viva Rock Vegas probably deserved uh, more Razzie noms. But, uh, you know, at least it didn't win any Razzies. Battlefield Earth came out that same year and swept them. <laughs> so, Which, I mean, there's one where it is probably applicable. Because that yeah. movie, to this day, remains totally unwatchable. Oh, it's terrible. Terrible. Okay, well, let's jump into the movie itself. Tony, what was your take on it this time, rewatching it? Well, I mean, we watched the movie Twins... A little yeah. <laughs> while ago, and we talked a lot about how Twins was a product of its time. It was uh, a very 1988 movie. Mm-hmm. This movie was a very 2000 movie. Yes. And watching it, it was kind of like watching the future of 1999. Right. But you know what? I, I, I have the same opinion of it that I did when I watched it the first time, which is this movie definitely is not without its flaws. Oh, right. But it was still an entertaining movie to watch, and it uh, it, it held up. Basically, my opinion of it hasn't changed since my initial viewing. Okay. How about you? Um, yeah, I mean, I agree with you. This movie does feel very much a year 2000 movie. You can see a lot of the influences of things like The Matrix on it. Um, to me, this movie feels kind of generic which is weird to say for a movie that has so much weird sci-fi elements to it but it definitely has those shades of that 2000s era action movie where they don't quite know which way action is going yeah it actually reminded me a lot of the movie the one if you remember that one yeah that's a good one the the jet lee vanity piece right Uh, for the same reason for exactly what you say it was kind of an entertaining movie but it had that kind of really bright 1990s special effects color and, and was not a particularly memorable movie. No, and to me this movie, it's not uh, a particularly great action movie. I don't think most of the action is very well done at all. It's uh, it's fine. It's not like offensively bad. It's not clunky action, but it's just like really unmemorable. To me, most of the strength comes from actually, weirdly enough, Schwarzenegger's performance, 
which, you know, the Razzie-nominated performance, but I actually think he's pretty good in this movie. You know, I think it actually helps. You know, we watched uh, Hercules in New York not so long ago, and just seeing the leaps and bounds he made as an actor in those decades. Like, to me, I think he's actually a really strong leading man, and you can really see at this point he's bringing a little more nuance into his performances. This movie, though, not just in the 2000s, this movie to me feels very heavily influenced by the movie The Fugitive from a few years earlier. I mean, this movie, it basically redoes scenes from movies from like 1994 on yeah. several times. Yeah. It, it actually reminded me also a lot of uh, The Fifth Element in right. a lot of places. <laughs> the Fugitive really reimagined Harrison Ford as a sort of every man on the run kind of hero, very like a Hitchcock idea of the guy who's accused of something he didn't do and is on the run from authorities. You know, that's sort of the same idea with here. It's very like a Hitchcock setup. But that's something that The Fugitive really nailed in spades. That movie made a fortune at the box office, multiple Oscar nominations. Tommy Lee Jones, of course, won the supporting actor that year. And so that movie had a lot of influence, and you can feel that in the filmmaking in the in the sixth day. But to me, I think the problem is, like, the script just isn't as good. The script isn't as good, and uh, if there is a weakness in this movie... I think the direction is probably, it's serviceable, but yeah. uh, I feel like we say that a lot on this podcast, <laughs> that, you know, the movie is serviceable, the script is serviceable, yeah. uh, but the direction, I think maybe under the, under a different writer, under a different director, this movie could have been uh, quite a bit better. Well, I think a really good comparison for this movie is actually Total Recall, which we haven't reviewed yet on the podcast, but Total Recall, directed by Paul Verhoeven, takes on similarly sci-fi kind of concepts. Um, but does it with a lot more weirdness and memorable quirk to it. Whereas like Roger Spottiswood directed this movie, and I, I don't uh, expect anyone to know that name. He directed, uh, I think my favorite thing he did really is the James Bond movie Tomorrow Never Dies, which is actually very uh, 1997 if you watch that movie. It's very much picking on those John Woo kind of tropes of the era. But, mm-hmm. you know, the guy's filmography, actually, he's, he's a fellow Canadian, actually, Tony, like us. But uh, his big debut was the 1980 horror film Terror Train, which stars Jimmy Lee Curtis uh, from True Lies, of course, as well as uh, David Copperfield, the magician. Well, you know what? I've never seen it, but uh, I've never even heard of it, but I'm going to watch that movie. It's actually entertaining. It sounds awesome. But just some select titles on his filmography. You know, you've got Turner and Hooch. You've got Stop or My Mom Will Shoot. You know, he wasn't exactly one of the greats. And, uh, you know, his career was actually a little more interesting, you know, in other capacities. He wrote the movie 48 Hours, which was a big hit with Nick Nolte and Eddie Murphy. And he was the editor on the Sam Peckinpah movie Straw Dogs. So he has some pedigree in more uh, in other avenues. But in terms of a director, he's definitely a kind of a bit of a gun for hire. Yeah, not, not really an A-lister. No. But... And one of the directors actually considered for this project was Joe Dante. Oh, who really? did movies like The Burbs Gr- and Inner Space and Gremlins? Yeah, mm-hmm. I think he actually would have been really interesting to see him take on this sort of weird. He material. would have brought something interesting. It is interesting because uh, I mean Schwarzenegger was a co-producer on this. Uh, one of the other co-producers, John Davidson mm-hmm. or Davison, I should say. I mean, he had a lot of very similar sci-fi films under his belt. He produced uh, Starship Troopers. He did RoboCop. Right. Yeah. And uh, so that's some pedigree. Yeah, so, and you can see those kind of influences in this type of movie. It's just um, the the direction uh, by Spottiswood is, it's okay. Uh, yeah. A little bit of overuse of uh, shaky can slow-mo, which is, 
a combination that should be used sparingly at best. <laughs> it almost looks like an After Effect added later. Like it's this digital sort of shake. Yeah. So it's very weird. So, I mean, that was a, a little bit of a, a strange choice. Some of the transitions between scenes were maybe a little bit clunky. Yeah. Uh, but on the whole, and like you said, the action w- wasn't great, but as we like to say here in Arnie Geddon, serviceable. It doesn't help that this movie comes out the same year as Mission Impossible 2, which, while not a great movie, like John Woo shoots the heck out of that action. So you see that there's really great action direction going on in that same year, but this just feels very pedestrian in that way. I, I thought one of the strangest things about the direction, and maybe it's just because, uh, I mean, the biggest star of this movie is Vancouver, yeah, uh, where where the movie was shot, where, where Cameron and I are both from and where we're currently recording the podcast. So um, I'm not sure what city or what generic city yeah. uh, Adam Gibson, played by Arnold Schwarzenegger, was supposed to be doing his helicopter snowboarding tours, but uh, <laughs> several Vancouver landmarks that are very recognizable, including the Expo 86 Dome, right. uh, the revolving restaurant that features prominently on any uh, I, I Went to Vancouver t-shirt, um, <laughs> that, that kind of thing, are, are all there, uh, but they never really explain why. Yes, and the Vancouver Library um, is... Featured so prominently, it pretty much has a supporting uh, cast billing. Yeah, and there was a little bit of that as well with the direction where you can tell they had rented out the Vancouver Library, a couple prominent locations downtown, uh, Simon Fraser University, and the sports arena, Rogers Arena, I think it was GM Place at the time. Right. Uh, So you can tell they rented them out and then they kept going back to these places uh, as if they you know they needed to return later in the movie right. to go do something there but it was pretty clear from an editing perspective uh, and maybe it's just like I say we're, we're very familiar with all these right. landmarks it's probably though how a lot of people feel when they watch movies shot in New York and they live in New York right right they uh, it was clear that, you know they probably rented these places for two hours shot a bunch of stock footage <laughs> and then edited it together later to the best of my memory, though, I think that they used the Vancouver Library before it opened. I believe they were using it up until its opening, and that was some sort of part of the deal or something. Oh, okay. Like, it actually opened after that or something? Like, there was some sort of weird complication with that, I remember from the time. I guess we could go to City Hall and comb <laughs> through old applications, but maybe we'll leave that for another episode. That's for a different podcast where we go on the road to the famous Vancouver locations of the sixth day. Yeah, so, I mean, getting back in some ways to this movie being the future of the year 2000 or the future of 1999 when this movie was probably filmed. Right, yeah. uh, Some of the things that really jumped out is uh, the XFL is featured... uh, (laughs) Prominently. Prominently. Does anyone know what the XFL is anymore? I mean, it lasted half a season (laughs) before they decided this is not working. I, I still remember the opening play... Uh, And the XFL was a big controversy up here because the CFL already has enough trouble getting uh, high caliber football players. We just don't have the money to to offer them. And so the XFL stole a bunch of CFL (laughs) players away. And I remember the opening play where instead of a kick, two players had to run towards the ball as fast as they can. Right. Uh, And uh, the opening play involved somebody getting a broken shoulder (laughs) or a separated... uh, clavicle or something like that and and it was a total disaster 
<laughs> and this and the season did not last. It made no money. Players got hurt. Yeah. And it was not not interesting to watch. No, it's actually pretty sad that it was outlasted by the lingerie bowl. <laughs> <laughs> And thank, thank goodness, though. <laughs> I suppose is that still going? Uh, there, is, I think there is a lingerie football league still, still going, really? still going in the in in the United States, as we call it. <laughs> I tell you, the smartest thing I ever did was cut my cable because it's better just not knowing these things are around anymore. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh- <laughs> it's actually funny. Apparently, Arnold Schwarzenegger specified that this movie takes place in 2015. Okay. So. You know, that kind of gives you an idea as to what... It's only imagining 15 years in the future. And, you know, we're still not running around with laser guns. But... Uh... <laughs> it is kind of interesting what it got right, though. You mean you know, the TV mirrors? The TV mirrors. There's, I mean, there's screens everywhere. <laughs> yeah. uh, there's a very high level of connectivity. Uh, the video phones. I, I mean, I think Skype was around at that time. Right. But, uh, you know, people weren't using that with any regularity. What uh, what social media platform was big then? Was that Friendster? Maybe Friendster. MySpace <laughs> might have been around. I don't think High Five had taken off yet. <laughs> <laughs> You're digging deep on these ones. Yeah. ICQ was all the rage. <laughs> yeah, ICQ. Rest in peace, ICQ. Yeah. Uh, I mean, some of the other things in this movie, you know, the, the kind of standard 90s movie tropes. Right. Uh, you know, the retina scan. The uh, ordering food directly to your fridge. I don't know how much money Volkswagen paid to have their cars in in pretty much every scene in this movie. I have a question, actually, about the the, uh, retina scanner. That apparatus that's put on Arnold Schwarzenegger's face... I can almost guarantee you you're asking the wrong guy. (laughs) No, no, I think I'm asking the right one. Um, That retina scan apparatus that's put on Arnold Schwarzenegger's face in this movie, it's actually the poster for the movie as well. That's right, yeah. It is meant to evoke Total Recall, isn't it? Like, I feel like it was designed so that moviegoers would see a poster and think, that reminds me of Total Recall. I think so. I think that's what they were going for in this movie. And a lot of this movie does harken back to the... Maybe it's not as much of a gritty or adult-like film, mm-hmm. but definitely the a lot of the imagery in this movie, I think we're trying to, was trying to harken back, um, certainly to Total Recall, but also, like we've said, to other non-Schwarzenegger sci-fi vehicles from the 90s. I do remember at the time, during the <laughs> press tour for this movie, that must have been a real you know celebration fest, but I remember a lot of the marketing in advance in this press tour was very much promoting this movie as Arnold Schwarzenegger's sort of return to like Total Recall sci-fi. Yeah, I, I can't recall, but I wouldn't yeah. I, I wouldn't be surprised if I was a marketing guy. That's probably how I'd try and sell it too. Well, it's tough because you know you look at this movie and it's kind of like, what did they have to sell really? Because I don't know if this movie really stands out as the extravaganza that Schwarzenegger was known for in his prime. Like this isn't a movie you can just drop in a theater and people are like, that movie looks huge and immense. It feels kind of a little bit scaled down for Arnold. Uh, and I suspect that's because he took a big chunk of the budget out of the movie with his paycheck. But it also does feel like a, a real shift in the Arnold persona um, in that it's Arnold as a everyman on the run. And that's something we didn't normally see with Arnold. Usually he was some sort of larger-than-life figure, like a real action hero type. Whereas this, he is like a vulnerable everyman. Although they do a very good job of establishing him... Uh bemoaning his birthday by flexing in front of the mirror and showing yeah. that he's still you know thrice the man any any one of us could possibly hope to be i do the same thing on all my birthdays 
Yeah, yeah. Well, me too. Me too. Every well, every three weeks, I, I try. And, right. I try and flex. Sure. You check out my Instagram feed. <laughs> Friendster. <laughs> yeah. My high five account's blowing up. Yeah, exactly. But you know, what do you think of you know Arnold Schwarzenegger as like this toned down every man on the run? Like, do you think it was successful? Again, I think maybe in the hands of a better director, uh, either, I think what this movie needed to do was either have the action scenes done a bit better, although some of the action scenes I actually quite enjoyed, and we can get into those in a yeah, bit, yeah. Um, or really amp up the uh, the science fiction component of it and the philosophical component. As, as it stands, the, the philosophy in this movie is a little bit Thin. A little bit ham-fisted at yeah. best, right? Yeah, it is interesting too that this movie is made right during that real cloning craze. The movie opens with references to Dolly the Sheep and uh, the Human Genome Project. Like right. this is very much that era where people are obsessed with cloning. And you know, a couple years later, you'd get movies like The Island, the Michael Bay movie, as well as um, uh, Replicant. Do you remember with Jean Claude Van Damme? Yeah, of course I do. That was also filmed in Vancouver. Also with Michael Rooker in it as well. Um, and then there's even like a Star Trek episode on, on Enterprise that comes out a couple years later called Similitude, tackling a lot of these issues as well. Like cloning was a big deal in terms of sci-fi entertainment. Like it was something people were very interested yeah. in. I think Island of Dr. Moreau was uh, released a couple years prior to this. That's 96. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, like cloning is becoming something that people are very much talking about. And it is interesting that this movie does have a real kind of like air of paranoia about it. Like, you know, really questioning like what's going to happen with these clones. We're now 18 years from the year 2000 and cloning is not really that big a problem. No, cloning isn't really. Well, we don't know. Maybe it that, is. Maybe maybe you're a clone. Maybe you're. Sh maybe show me your eye. Uh, <laughs> your, how many dots do you have on your eye? Too many to count. Yeah. Four. Yeah. <laughs> For those of you who haven't seen the film, uh, the number of dots that you have on the eye uh, does determine how many times you have been cloned. Right. So if you're wondering if you are a clone or if your family has been cloned, uh, check under the eyelid. Preferably when they're sleeping. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you can really see this great concern about cloning. And I'm always interested in revisiting kind of these older movies, these cautionary tales, and how a lot of their fixations on the past are things that now you're like, huh, I don't worry too much about that now. No, uh, yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, you never know. I mean, uh, there were the Clone Wars. Of course, in 2002. Yeah, so, I mean, that obviously happened. Yeah, um, it did. <laughs> Boy, did that movie happen. <laughs> <laughs> so, l let's get into the, the movie itself. Yeah. As far as, um, you know, I mean, you, you've said that you found Arnold Schwarzenegger to be a, a real strength in this movie. Right. What, what did you think about the supporting cast? Uh, there was actually a pretty good uh, supporting cast as far as well-known yeah. well actors. I mean, you have Michael Rappaport, Tony Goldwyn, who you've already mentioned, Michael Rooker at his Michael Rookiest. Yeah, oh, yeah definitely. And, his raspiest, yeah. Uh, uh, Robert Duvall, uh, who I think was uh, bizarrely underused. <laughs> and totally wasted in this movie. Uh, yeah, so <laughs> you have a pretty good, and I'd be remiss to not mention terry cruz in his yeah. acting debut so i mean what did you think about the ensemble surrounding schwarzinger in this movie okay one of my biggest complaints with action movies not just arnold movies action movies as a whole is boring villains and i actually think the sixth day despite its many weaknesses actually has a really stacked cast of villains that i think are memorable and actually have interesting looks to them and quirks like 
Tony Goldwyn, yeah, he's a little bit of a generic kind of sci-fi tech millionaire kind of baddie. But I think his henchmen are really cool. Like, Michael Rooker is totally Michael Rooker. He's got, like, a <laughs> trench coat. He's just totally raspy. He's just that guy who just seems like he wakes up and he just drinks something out of a brown paper bag. <laughs> you know, so I love him. I actually think Sarah Winter is really good in this movie as uh, Talia, mm-hmm. the female henchman who has a different color hairstyle for every time she's cloned. And you can definitely see shades of like uh, Sharon Stone's villain in Total Recall Yeah, in that character. Um, but I actually think she brings a lot. They don't give her a lot in terms of personality, but as a physical presence in the movie, I think she may be the highlight. And what did you think about uh, Wiley, played by R- Rodney Rowland? You mean and... Mark McGrath of Sugar Ray? <laughs> yeah, you got it. And then, uh, and then Vincent, played by Terry Crews, to kind of round out the four henchmen. Yeah, I mean, I thought they were both, you know, they were amusing. Like, they didn't have a lot of personality, but they had a certain amount of quirkiness. Rodney Rowland is sort of the comedic, kind of bumbling, sidekick kind of bad guy. And uh, Terry Crews is just cool no matter what you put him in. He always looks... Highly capable and competent. I, I thought of those four, he was the only one that didn't seem totally unhinged most of the time. Yes. Oh, yeah. I mean, Sarah Winter was unhinged throughout <laughs> this movie. But, I mean, what about you? Like, did these did this group of villains really work for you? I did. I actually, I, I liked how they had the different layers that I thought worked pretty well. I mean, they never really explain why the world's most powerful man only has these four bumbling <laughs> villains. To They're to... really not effective. <laughs> no, they're, they're not. They, they seem to get killed and cloned over and over again at $1.2 million a shot. I didn't really understand them, though, in terms of storytelling. Sarah Winter's character, Talia, he is obviously like a psychopath and very much, I think, also modeled on Trinity in The Matrix. Yeah. There's definitely a lot of that there as well. But she seems highly skilled like an assassin. Whereas, like, Michael Rooker seems like a beat-down detective. Uh, he actually kind of... Rem- <laughs> he reminded me of just, a, you know, a guy who's just so hard-boiled that yeah. the pot has run dry. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, did he seem like he was on the hunt to kill this guy the whole movie? Well, I mean, he he seemed like he was, I guess, loyal to sure. uh, Tony Goldwyn's Michael Drucker. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, he seemed willing to kill people. Yeah. <laughs> but... Uh, I guess he was pretty relentless, but he was kind of the leader, I guess, of these. He was, yeah. Like you said, I think that uh, Tony Goldwyn was uh, serviceable, but they, I gotta stop using that word, but he was okay, but they could have got any number of bespectacled dweebs to, to play him. And then, like we mentioned earlier, I don't know if you can count him as a villain or not, but, uh, Robert Duvall, you know, one of the most... Uh, storied and renowned actors of our time. The Godfather, uh, Apocalypse Now, one of the legends, yeah. Just being put in this role where he had very, very little to do. Yeah. Didn't he make this movie the same year he did Gone in 60 Seconds? Who, Robert Duvall? Yeah. Uh, he, I think they might have been the same have, year. Yeah. So, yeah, it was not a great year for Robert Duvall characters. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about Tony Goldwyn though for a second. Sure. Because, yeah, you know, you say he's okay. Like, he doesn't bring a lot. It's interesting, though, Roger Spottiswood, just a couple years earlier, directed Tomorrow Never Dies, the Bond movie. Right. Where he had Vincent Price also playing this sort of millionaire character with, you know, glasses and kind of nerdy. But, like, Jonathan Price was like... You said Vincent Price. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> you're, okay. You're, you're really confused... <laughs> I'm Hello, dead. Bond. 
I'm here for a night of horror and mystery. <laughs> I'm going to suck the blood of MI6. Now you're going to Bella Lugosi. Oh, whatever, man. <laughs> but no, I mean, okay. I mean... <laughs> well, anyways, it wasn't Vincent Price. No, it wasn't Vincent Price. Sorry, Jonathan Jonathan Price. Lugosi. Yeah. <laughs> but Jonathan Price is playing a very similar type. You know, this mastermind in glasses, the black suits... But, like, Jonathan Price is just chewing the scenery in Tomorrow Never Dies under the same director. And he's so memorable and just a total blast. And you just wonder, like, why was Roger Spottiswood not kind of encouraging that same sort of quirkiness out of Tony Goldwyn? I mean, maybe he was. Maybe Tony Goldwyn just uh, doesn't have the Jonathan Price in him. I don't know. Is Tony Goldwyn just, like, that boring? I hope not. Yeah. I mean, not that, again, Michael Drucker was an okay villain. Was he? He was okay. In the realm of Schwarzenegger villains, though, he's pretty low on the bar, I think. Yeah, that's probably true. I think... He's better than the gangsters in Hercules in New York. That's true. But <laughs> what I will say is that, I mean, I remembered Tony Goldwyn's character and Michael Drucker yeah. uh, since I saw that movie the first time. No, that's fair. I did too, yeah. Right? So to say he was, um, he maybe wasn't that interesting, but to, he was, I thought, uh, he must have been memorable because we both remembered him i suppose that's true yeah i mean i've forgotten so many villains from generic 2000s at movies like i don't remember who the villain of the movie paycheck was <laughs> no i don't even know who the hero of the movie paycheck was <laughs> wasn't it ben affleck <laughs> i don't know but anyways um let's get into the actual movie itself like the, the plotting of this movie you know how did you feel about this sort of wrong man on the run sort of story like did you feel like it was being told with the right amount of tension and did the conspiracy element work for you I thought it was like a lot of this movie. It was it it was all right, but it could have been done a little bit better. You feel like um, you feel like just with a couple more tweaks, yeah. Uh, that this movie could have been really something spectacular. I think, uh, and and just the the pacing was again okay, but it, it was just a little bit off. Uh, what I mean, what do you think? I agree with you in the sense that like you know with these wrong man on the run movies, you want a real sense of tension. And, like, this character's trying to figure things out with time ticking down. And there's a lot of sequences where it just feels like time just kind of stops dead. You know, where Arnold Schwarzenegger goes to his family house and is just kind of hanging out there with Michael Rappaport. And then he goes and hangs out at Michael Rappaport's apartment with his virtual sex friend. And, you know, it's just like these moments just seem to last forever. It doesn't feel like it's a guy who's constantly on the run the way you did, for example, with Harrison Ford in The Fugitive. Like, you want to feel that sort of momentum. And it just felt like Arnold Schwarzenegger, despite being on the run from four quote-unquote highly trained mercenaries, doesn't really seem, you know, in that much tension. Like, it just feels like he's right. got plenty of time to kind of wander around and figure things out. And I think in a movie like this, which, let's be honest, this movie's not striving for Academy Awards. It's striving to be a fast-paced entertainment. And I think if the pace feels slack, as it does under Roger Spotterswood's direction... It doesn't help your story. Like, it should feel kind of breathless. Yeah, and there's a few things that I think probably could have been added to this movie that would have made it, uh, if not, you know, better in the eyes of the Academy. Right. Uh, <laughs> you know, and the Goldwyn Globes. <laughs> yeah, the Goldwyn Globes. Uh, would have maybe made it a bit of a uh, better action film. Uh, so, I mean, one of the final pieces uh, of the movie involves... Uh, Adam Gibbs and Schwarzenegger uh, running through the complex. Uh, I think at this point he's taking care of the the four 
secondary bad guys. Right. Who all die in really boring ways, by the way. That actually disappointed me. Uh, but, I mean, they died in interesting ways several times throughout the movie. I suppose that's true. You know, and th at that point, there's these security guards or private security force of this uh, repet cloning corporation. Right. Uh, running out and Schwarzenegger shooting them. Uh, I think this movie could have done with a little bit more uh, James Bond-type generic villains yeah. for Schwarzenegger to... Yeah. To fight and kill, you know, the disposable faceless guys who aren't going to get cloned again and come right. back. And I think also just like a, a slicker pacing and maybe a score that was a little more lively. It sort of has this kind of like very atmospheric, kind of low-key electronic score that's mm -hmm. not particularly propulsive. Yeah, although there was uh, there was a couple good good moments of like... Uh, late 90s, early 2000s, <laughs> alt-rock that yeah. kind of came on inappropriately. And it's amazing how bizarre and out of place it sounds these days. Like, you would not put that in a f film these days. It's funny. You show, like, you know, Young Us, those, like, 1960s beach movies with Frankie Avalon and Annette Funicello, and we would laugh our heads off at, like, the music in those movies. Yeah. And now kids would laugh their heads off at the music in our 2000-era techno thrillers. Well, I mean, we were laughing at it, and, and we were kids when uh, when this movie came That's out. That's very true. Or young adults, I should say. But how did you feel about the conspiracy element of this? Because, you know, this movie is a puzzle of Arnold Schwarzenegger trying to figure out what's happened to him. There's this sort of gap in, you know, in terms of what's happened with uh, his friend Michael Rappaport's character, Hank Morgan, who'd taken Tony Goldwyn's character up onto this mountain. And then there's like a glitch where you just see someone shooting a gun. And a lot of the mystery is tied to what happened there. How did this all pay off? Did you feel like it wound up in a way that was satisfying? Or were you still kind of going like, eh, like what? Yeah, I wasn't that interested in the mystery yeah i mean the mystery wasn't what kept me watching this film i wasn't biting my nails and thinking oh oh, oh my goodness I, I wonder who was really behind this murder right uh, this movie was sold and was marketed and was directed and acted on the premise that schwarzenegger is going to meet schwarzenegger and they're going to team up and they're going to fight bad guys right and i was much more interested in getting to the point where that actually happens I spent a lot of the movie wondering in what world would a charter pilot snowboarding guy be embroiled in this sort of scandal and this sort of intrigue because it really didn't make sense to me. I'm like, well, like, how is this character, how do you even justify bringing this character into this story? And, you know, ultimately it's kind of just a coincidence in that an anti-cloning advocate like shoots Tony Goldwyn's character. Mm -hmm. And that ties everything into a bow, I suppose. But it felt very, like, kind of a clunky coincidence. Yeah, and there was a few of those in this film. I uh, mean, the anti-cloning advocate with the gun was waiting at the top of a mountain <laughs> to no, get Tony Goldwyn's character. No, he was part of their crew. He was part of the crew, but yeah. He worked for the charter agency. Yeah, they, didn't, they, they obviously didn't scan him very well. Neither the charter agency nor uh, yeah. Repet's... Uh, security forces who uh, I mean that that actually bothered me a lot more than that particular anti-cloning right uh, activist uh, subplot there was you know this is the most powerful corporation in the world he, he describes yeah. the president as being the second most important person in the world after him right and their security force 
was very sophisticated. They had a huge building that all the doors had automatic locks and uh, yeah. but the the security force thinned out and fluffed up uh, depending on what the movie needed. Right, yeah. I mean, yeah, you mentioned their their headquarters is huge and they operate I guess with the police. Like it seems like they operate together maybe out of a like what is actually in Vancouver a sports stadium and you can actually see all the gate signs from all the various entrances to the sports stadium still lit up on the actual set i guess that, there that was the one thing that bothered me probably the most in this movie is that if arnold schwarzenegger's adam gibson or adam gibson's clone yeah. really has the ability to take down this company and to take down this powerful michael drucker character and the company is willing to clone and reclone trained assassins at 1.2 million a shot right and put all these resources into it it seems unlikely like when schwarzenegger goes back to his house yeah that there wouldn't be somebody there right to report you know he goes back to his house within about 10 hours and then he goes to his workplace where they originally took off yeah. And there's nobody there. And pretty much, like you said, everywhere he goes, they don't really know where he is until he shows himself. Right. And it, so it's not, as, as much as it is a, a man on the run kind of thing, yeah. it's more like he shows up and then he runs. Yeah, it's true. And, you know, these four show up and just kind of bumble around. Um, just a minor diversion. Um, the character Adam Gibson, is that name, the Gibson, a, a reference to William Gibson, the sci-fi author? Uh, it might be. I mean, I feel like it probably is, right? That's as prob- probably as, as good a bet as any. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this is definitely a uh, William Gibson, Philip K. Dick derivative, if there ever was one. Right. Yeah, it was written by Cormac and Marianne Wiberly, um, whose filmography is kind of spotty as well spot as woody <laughs> um <laughs> they wrote uh the movie i spy um bad boys 2 they had the story credit on uh they wrote the national treasure movies what is it the guinea the hamster movie g4 or no the guinea pig movie g-force uh, can you can you distinguish for me why it matters whether it's a hamster or a guinea pig <laughs> <laughs> I just want to get it right here for the people out there. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I don't want angry letters from G-Force fans. But it's, it is interesting in that this movie gets smoked at the box office by Charlie's Angels. Right. And these writers go on to write Charlie's Angels full throttle. Oh, okay. So they end up jumping over to the franchise that beat their previous attempt at uh, box office success. Interesting. And of course, Charlie's Angels 2 did not do well. <laughs> Sorry, Wibberleys. <laughs> Yeah, well, similar to Spottiswood, I mean, they've been around, but yep. not not really the top A-listers that uh, maybe if Schwarzenegger had taken eh, 18 million, they could have really brought some talent on. What actually makes this movie kind of interesting, too, is that we are segging into that point in Schwarzenegger's career where we've been referencing Total Recall a lot. At that point in time, you know, in the 90s, he's working with directors like Paul Verhoeven, James Cameron... As we get into the tail end of the 90s, into the 2000s, we're seeing more directors like this, Roger Spottiswood. You really see Arnold fall out of favor with the really hotshot action directors mm-hmm. and working more with, you know, your journeyman types. And I think that is often a reason a lot of these movies don't work. Like, I think you could probably give this movie to, you know, say if Joe Dante had done it or a Paul Verhoeven he would have looked at the script and been like, okay, this doesn't work, this doesn't work, this doesn't work, I want rewrites on this. 
but turned into something memorable. You know, that would be interesting. You know, if this movie had been written by Shane Black and had been directed by James Cameron, what would this movie have been like? Right. Yeah. I mean, exactly. Like, it does feel like it has enough weird elements, especially when we get to the end. We'll get, we'll talk about that in a second. But like, the weird elements are in place to make something really memorable, but they all feel under this sort of very like superficial surface of teflon where nothing really sticks you know it's all just kind of like you kind of go okay yeah sure sure i mean this movie has it's a little bit derivative yeah but derivative in a good way is it a good way i don't know like i fall i think a little more on the negative but i mean there is a sequence early in this movie you and i were rolling our eyes at which is a helicopter slash glider chase through like a canyon uh, yeah, the pod race. Yeah. <laughs> Wizard! Yippee! <laughs> yeah, which is just so lame. So, so lame. But you can imagine what, say, James Cameron would have done with that sequence. Yeah, that that's one of the things. There's a few places in this movie, certainly that helicopter chase is... Uh, I, I wouldn't go so far as to call it lame. It's a little bit weak, I think. It's lame. Come on. It's not totally lame. It's okay. It's not great. I've said it's not great. I've seen worse. Okay. I'm going to go with lame, but sure. <laughs> but as we reference sometimes here on Arnie Geddon, some of the special effects were a little bit uh, Carnosaur-like. Right. Where, like, you know, at that, at that era where, you know, the post-Jurassic Park era where things looked pretty good, but you kind of layer the special effects too much and they're... They're pretty shiny, and then you have the actor on them in yeah. front of a green screen, and things don't really mesh up right, and they don't really hold up. That yeah, I well. mean, speaking of those helicopters, there's a rescue at the end where the two Arnolds are hanging from this uh, helicopter, and it looks awful. Yeah, that scene that scene doesn't look good. It just uh, it looks like he's just standing in front of a Sony Trinitron. It's bad. You know, those of you out there, if you've seen the movie Lockout with Guy Pierce, the Space Jail movie. There's an opening action sequence. It's like a motorcycle chase. It doesn't look that bad, but it looks close. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty darn close. Um, but, you know, let's just get to the action sequences. You know, you were saying you liked some of them. Which ones did you like? I thought the car chase was actually done pretty well okay yeah uh i liked the fact that they went with uh laser pistols instead of uh normal guns i thought that was pretty cool do you think that was just for the pg-13 rating it may have been uh we were we were debating actually we didn't check the rating before we watched the movie but you get one solid f-bomb in this film and we were wondering if that had put it over the r rating right yeah but um it was pg-13 yeah, we also get, uh, you know, speaking of the PG-13, you know, there is, uh, I think, a little more of a focus, too, on that this movie is trying to tone itself down a bit, even though it is fairly violent. It's a PG-13. You have Arnold at one point referencing to villains that, like, he doesn't want to expose his daughter to violence because they get too much of that from the media, Yeah, which is just groan-inducing. I remember at the time, actually, a lot of critics were like, Whoa, what a testament to the times that finally we're recognizing these movies are too violent. But now it just plays as so lame. But, you know, it is important to remember this movie was released one year after Columbine. So, I mean, the atmosphere for violent movies was obviously very sensitive. I actually didn't mind that scene as much as you. Really? I thought it was awful. I looked over at you. If your eyes had been any farther back in your head, you would have been staring at the wall behind you. I mean, look, it's not as lame as the girl kicking the raptor in The Lost World. (laughs) But it's pretty terrible. 
yeah. you know, getting back to the action, you know, you like the car sequence, the, the chase. I there. thought the car sequence was done really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh... I, I liked him fighting with Sarah Winter's character in the car. Like, I thought that was well done. Yeah, that was pretty good. Uh, it, I mean, that was probably the best action scene in the uh, in the movie. And the some of the other ones, I mean, obviously the helicopter scene, which we've already mentioned, was a little bit flat. Yeah. Uh, and there there wasn't a lot of other action scenes there is a couple um like shootouts a couple shootouts and yeah. a couple uh hand-to-hand fist fights and that kind of thing where uh these these trained assassins seem to fall pretty easily to an everyman helicopter pilot but yeah. that's neither here nor there that's par for the course for arnold i did like the scene in the parking garage where arnold pulled the uh, john McClane maneuver and shot michael rooker in the leg oh that yeah that scene was pretty memorable i, yeah. I actually remembered that from the first time i saw it. And, and then turned around and blew off talia's fingers yes and then yeah. used those fingers for a, a way longer time than the movie really warranted <laughs> to get <laughs> to get through finger scans which actually was interesting that this movie got a pg-13 with moments like that i don't know that you could do that nowadays i'm uh, I think you could. I mean, they was they were both very bloodless, like you say. I think the reason they're that... bloodless, but there is a level of kind of gore, like showing Michael Rooker's foot shot off like that. I don't know. Like to me, the PG thirteen rating has kind of changed and morphed over time. Yeah, but he got his foot shot off, and it was kind of comedic. He's yelling, you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, I just these are new boots, that sort of thing. Right. But um, I mean. Either way, I mean, we're not on the ratings board. It got the rating it did. Yeah. Uh, it probably got. I imagine there are some things that were edited in order to get that rating. Yeah. Uh, not the least of which was changing. The, he, you know, at one point in the movie, he uh, he says, uh, you know, why don't you clone yourself to uh, Michael Drucker so you can go fuck yourself. Right. And then uh, later on in the movie, after Michael Drucker falls on top of himself when he has been cloned. Right. Uh, he says, you know, when I told you to screw yourself, I wasn't serious. Which, right. Which... Was very. It was surprisingly jarring, actually, to hear yes. that, that done that way. That moment falls so flat because you instantly go, wait, he didn't tell him to go screw himself before. He used the F word. So I don't know why they just didn't use, you know, screw yourself twice. I think that would have been more effective. Or just come up with another term, whatever. Like, it, it seemed really weird to... It was bizarre, yeah. It was yeah, very, it, very odd. It didn't work at all. If you want to make a, you know, really great Arnold quotable moment, that's not how you do it. Uh, were there any other action scenes that really stuck out for you? No, I mean, the ending is just kind of a big shootout in the uh, Vancouver library. Uh, I mean, again, <laughs> it was all kind of functional stuff, uh, you know, laser gun shootouts. But you compare that to, like, the big shootout at the end of Tomorrow Never Dies, I think that's far better done. It just makes me question, I should have looked it up, but just the difference in second unit directors that Spotted would had on that movie versus this movie. Right. Because it just feels like the action's just not as interesting or memorable or just creative like the Mm -hmm. shootout stuff is fine um the struggle with tony goldwyn stuff is okay it's very unmemorable like there's no real great action sequence involving the villain at the end um although i did i did think that michael drucker's uh final death was pretty good where he yeah jumps off the tower as the helicopter explodes and lands on the glass right and then the glass breaks and he falls several stories to his death it was a good falling death as far as they go Okay, I have to go back to the helicopter thing for a second. <laughs> Uh-oh. 
was this movie really just stretching and bending over backwards for ways to include helicopters in this movie? You get the impression that they spent a significant portion of their budget on on these helicopters. It would not surprise me if the helicopters weren't in the original script. <laughs> and that they found ways to work these things in. And we should be clear, they're not just helicopters, they're helicopter planes. Yeah. That... Or gliders, or I don't even know what they are. And apparently the main criteria for being a commercial helicopter pilot is to control them as negligently as possible in populated areas. <laughs> yeah, it's weird because, again, you're tying this whole conspiracy to a guy who works for a charter company. And I, I don't know, like to me, this all, it all felt so clunky. Like it felt weird. You know, I believe it if like, okay, I can totally believe it. If Arnold Schwarzenegger's character is being recruited by the Triple X program from the Vin <laughs> Diesel franchise, well, they did they did have a brief reference. I don't know if you caught it or not that uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger had previously had some kind of military service or had served in some kind of combat zone, sure. and that now he was the uh, the Double X Charter, not Triple X. <laughs> <laughs> Just kind of flashing back to that ending for a sec, you know, because yeah, you have the big helicopter stuff, but. You know, we were saying it's not memorable, that whole kind of finale, but there is one moment where Arnold is swimming through a tank of clones that is so obviously evoking true lies. It's shot the exact same way as that sequence where Arnold is swimming underwater with, like, the, the fire over top from True Lies. Yeah. That you're watching, it and, you know, in that moment, you're like, boy, I wish I was watching True Lies. <laughs> <laughs> Although I actually thought that scene was pretty cool. Uh, Arnold, yeah. you know, as far as uh, good... Uh, biological sci-fi movies go. Yeah. Uh, having Schwarzenegger, you know, swimming through uh, a vat of twitching clones yeah. was pretty cool. It's a great visual. It genuinely is. I wish they'd exploited it more because I think you could do some really creepy stuff with that. Yeah, similar to what we've said, like in a lot of these places, it was a very cool scene. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think in the hands of a better director, it would have been iconic. Right. Kudos to Spottiswood for getting it in there. I, I mean, I don't want to sound like we're ragging on Spottiswood too much. I think uh, a lesser director would have handled that very poorly, and we've right, seen yeah. scenes like that done done poorly. Um, but can you imagine what Paul Verhoeven would have done with that sequence? Well, exactly. I think yeah. I think if you had one of the great action or the great sci-fi directors, it had the potential to be uh, an iconic or a very memorable scene, at least. Yeah, for sure. Now. Let's talk about Arnold because, of course, this podcast celebrates Arnold. What did you make of Arnold Schwarzenegger's turn here? Did you enjoy seeing him act opposite himself? I thought it was a pretty cool indulgence, a little bit of a vanity piece for Schwarzenegger at this yeah. point in his career. Uh, it would almost be a shame if an action star uh, made it all the way through their career without playing <laughs> a clone or a twin brother or an alternate universe version of themselves. Has Stallone ever done it? Uh, I don't know if Stallone ever has, but certainly Van Damme has. Multiple Ch times. Yeah, Chuck Norris certainly has. Okay. I don't know if Seagal ever did, but... Don't think so. Uh, I mean, but he kind of became two of himself later in his career. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, I enjoyed seeing the two of them play off each other. I thought some of the camera blocking was a little clunky. Like, I think a more visually adept director, a more technically, you know, masterful type like Cameron or Verhoeven, would have made the illusion a little more seamless. There was a lot of obvious body doubling going on. Which actually reminds me, of all the movies to not have Sven 
Ole Thorson in. Yes. I can't believe who, if those of you who are just joining us and haven't joined us on our normal uh, Arnie Geddon podcasts here, uh, one of the things we do is we play a game called Spot Sven. And Sven Ole Thorson is the actor who has appeared in almost as many Schwarzenegger movies as Schwarzenegger. Right. And he generally plays either a heavy or oftentimes he plays a, a double or a stand in for Schwarzenegger. Right. And in this case, you know, of all the movies to require a stand-in, yeah. why wasn't he here? I have no idea. It would have been a good idea. Let's talk about something that I think has to be talked about. Don't it, don't it go may, there. It may be the most don't do unforgettable it. moment. <laughs> I've been avoiding it. In this movie. <laughs> no, I'm having nightmares. And that is the Sim Pal, Cindy. <laughs> oh, God. I mean, Cindy may be the most horrific doll in the history of film. <laughs> Forget it, Chucky. Sorry, Annabelle. You have all lost to Cindy, who is a walking nightmare. Yeah, it's like it's like this doll went into the uncanny valley with a shovel and dug itself another uncanny valley at the bottom of that valley. It is it is absolutely horrific. And I think that was the intention. Was but, it? Uh, well, that's the thing is none of the characters in the um, in the mo- movie in the yeah. movie seem to react to it in a way that that indicates they're horrified by it. But everything that this doll does is horrific. Yeah. What would it take for you to spend like a dark evening in your living room with Cindy sitting in in the room with you? Wouldn't happen. No, it's horrifying. There is no amount of money <laughs> on earth that is going to let me take that animatronic exorcist reject. <laughs> And sit in my sit in my house in the dark with that thing. But I want to be a friend. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the fact that you have to know a special passcode yeah. to turn it off, <laughs> and even then it goes on for like another five seconds. So I have a boo boo. Is is. It is a horrible, horrible thing. I, you know what? The funny thing is, I kind of wish they had done uh, a little bit more with that doll. Yeah, no kidding. That should have been the villain, not Tony Blair. Or not Tony Blair. <laughs> Tony Blair, Vincent Price. You're on fire today. Not uh, Tony Goldwyn. Cindy was far more terrifying than Tony Goldwyn. But, uh, you know, I, I do wonder if they got Linda Blair to double that doll. <laughs> No, like, I was in awe. It actually... Okay, I was wondering, though, it was so horrific looking that I was wondering if they were actually trying to evoke the um, the robot taxi driver in Total Recall. Possibly. I actually went back... I actually thought maybe they were trying to evoke some of the little replicant clones from Blade Runner. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, but... I mean, like like a lot of the things in this movie, there's a there's probably a lot of sources that this yeah that this simpal simpal Cindy comes <laughs> from, but uh, I mean, I find it hard to believe that little girls across the nation are crying to their mummies and daddies for this yeah. doll. And I like that she gets that horror show on the day her dog dies. <laughs> It's like, sorry, honey, your dog died, but here's a walking nightmare that's gonna stalk you in your sleep. <laughs> yeah. I think that, um, I mean, we can get, maybe it's a good segue here, actually, is uh, I thought that the, the Sim Pal Cindy was probably some of the funnier parts of the movie. And Unintentionally, it, I think. And we don't know that, but I mean, yeah. we, we were laughing pretty hard. Yes. And crying in, in, in horror as well. Yes. 
Were there any other humorous moments like the one-liners or any of the physical comedy that was in this movie that you found to be funny? There's not much, really. There's actually not as much sort of comedic moments as I'd hoped for in a Schwarzenegger movie. Because, you know, he can make very dark movies that still have funny moments in them. I don't know that a lot of it worked for me. I know you and I laughed at the teddy bear picnic sequence, the, ch <laughs> the children's play. Can you imagine Simpal Cindy or two dozen Simpal Cindy's acting out the teddy bear picnic? Yeah, yeah. Well, there's a lot of just absurd moments that I kind of snickered at, like that uh, Terry Crews would corner Arnold Schwarzenegger's daughter, who just coincidentally had to go to the bathroom. I don't know what was going to happen if she didn't go to the bathroom and wander off into an empty hallway. But he does this by cornering her with remote-controlled Dobermans. You know, it's like absurd moments like that kind of made me snicker. But I don't know that there was a lot of, like, funny moments. Just just briefly, of that scene, it wasn't totally clear to me. Because I think what they had resolved in the scene prior, that if they weren't able to kill the clone Schwarzenegger, yeah. then they were going to kill the original. Right. Uh, they search the house. They find out that there's this teddy bear picnic recital going on. Right. And they go there, and they kidnap the daughter and the wife, and then they just leave... <laughs> without Schwarzenegger, right. which didn't make a lot of sense to me. Yeah, but, I mean, I guess, though, you know, it just popped into my head, if you're going to talk about comedy relief, I guess you could say the big comedy sequence in the movie, I guess, might be when he goes to visit uh, Michael Rappaport's apartment, and there's, like, the virtual sex doll that starts talking to Arnold Schwarzenegger, and it's sort of this wacky, you know, look at this thing and in this guy's life or whatever. I don't again, know. Again, very Blade Runner. Very Blade Runner. But not particularly well done. And I still can't wrap my head around how this hologram thing undoes someone's fly. Well, I mean, he had to sit in this special chair. That is true. I guess a special chair is also involved. Uh, but, uh, you know, with, we'll never know on a PG-13 movie. That's true. But, I mean, some of the lines, I, I know, I, again, I saw you rolling your eyes. Where the one where he said, I might be back, was really lame. I thought that was kind of funny. Okay. But, I mean, at this point, and this is maybe... The point in Schwarzenegger's career, um, you know, I think it's probably safe to say that, you know, Eraser was the probably the last big, true Schwarzenegger action vehicle until, of course, Terminator 3. That does but, feel about right, but, yeah. But this is really a transition phase yeah. in Schwarzenegger's career where he move, he starts moving a little bit more into self-parody you know well, they're, he... they're toning down the tropes though too mm -hmm. like the, you know those like big quotable lines are being toned down like in a, one of his older movies they would be pumped up big time on the soundtrack and delivered with more gusto yeah and he certainly he certainly had some and we already mentioned the you know uh, when i told you to go screw yourself i yeah. wasn't serious not a great line no uh you know probably not a top 10 schwarzenegger line um Again, I, I thought I might be back was funny. There is a, a scene with uh, where he's smoking a, a cigar. Apparently smoking is now illegal in the future. He's smoking a cigar right. with his wife. Yeah. Uh, you know, an, ob an obvious reference to Schwarzenegger being a cigar aficionado at, right. at the time. There's a few kind of funny, awkward scenes where Adam Gibson is talking to his clone. Right. Or, or he's talking to his friend, Michael Rapaport about, you know, the, the clone uh, or the original. We don't know at that point. Right. Uh, having sex with his wife. That, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, kind of kind of funny. Yeah. But, it, but, but a little bit subdued. Like, yeah, it's not played it, up like the big comedy of his previous movies. Exactly. You know, so, I mean, and that's fine. But it does, I think, make the movie feel more generic than it should. I think if you pumped up those moments more, the movie would feel 
a little more just fun. I think it's something that might be remembered more versus being kind of forgotten completely. Yeah. Uh, I mean, one thing that really stuck out in this movie, and I thought the movie did pretty well, actually, uh, is, and it is moving a little bit away from the humor here, is the parallels between Arnold Schwarzenegger and his clone and right. how, and how they ultimately treat each other and plan together and yeah. respect each other's lives and goals <laughs> yeah. versus uh, Michael Drucker, uh, Tony Goldwyn's uh, character, yeah. the, the way his clone treats his clone where he starts peeling the coat <laughs> off his back. Yeah. Uh, and I, I thought one of the good lines in this film was actually, you know, where he's just cloned himself because he's been shot and he's terminally been wounded. And he says, well, you know, aren't, aren't you going to w- at least wait until I die? And the clone looks at him and says, well, would you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I actually like the uh, distorted uh, Tony Goldwyn clone. I thought that was actually a pretty fun makeup job. Yeah, yeah, totally. It was it was suitably repulsive. Yeah, it, I mean, it was very kind of, it added a little bit to the weirdness. And it just yeah. really reinforced for me that if this movie was a little bit tighter and a little bit weirder, yeah. it... it, it uh, could have been a little bit better. Yeah, if they thrown in some more like cloning quirks, like some of the henchmen maybe get mutated over the course of their, you know, cloning or something, so, like in some way, like that, that gets, would be interesting. Someone becomes half sheep. Sure, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, that would be bad. <laughs> Good lord. Uh, yeah, yeah. Your jokes got mutton on this movie. <laughs> but you know, I wish that Arnold and his clone had, had a you know, more fun scenes together. Like, I don't feel like they really got a real showcase, big, energetic scene together. They're kind of just, like, planning their scheme to take down Tony Goldwyn's character, and you're like, okay, yeah, I you, guess. you keep expecting there to be a, a lot more energy. Like, two Arnold's back-to-back shooting guns would have been amazing. Yeah, I kept waiting, you know, with there being two Schwarzeneggers, that being the main conceit of this movie yeah uh, i kept wanting when they finally do meet i wanted it to be like uh like al pacino and de niro and heat finally sitting sure. down across from each other yeah you know, i wanted it to be a, a spectacular memorable cinema moment but right instead it was a little bit more a little bit more double team than it was uh it, it was more like a de niro and pacino in the righteous kill yeah yeah <laughs> we were like ah, whatever who cares <laughs> What did you think of sort of the the ending to... Because we find out that the Schwarzenegger we've been following throughout the movie is the clone. What did you make of his ending? Where he goes out to sea. <laughs> the final soliloquy of this movie was very strange. Yes. Uh, where they hadn't, not, they hadn't really explored the philosophical side or the existential angst that Schwarzenegger must be feeling... He didn't uh, really seem to feel anything. Yeah, and so he ha- then he has this final soliloquy or with, with himself yeah. uh, about how he's part of his family and he should have a right to say goodbye. And then he kind of s- stencils the word Argentina on the side of his helicopter and, <laughs> and gets on a boat and leaves. Yeah. Uh, it, it was, you know, it was not... Uh, was, was he going to open up another yeah, tourism? He, yeah, that, that's what okay. I got out of it. He yeah, was, that's what I felt too. He, yeah. he was going to do snowboarding in Argentina. <laughs> that's really weird. <laughs> it, it, well, it's a little strange. It could it could have <laughs> been better, but I mean, I got the point. He, the clone realized that you know it wasn't actually his family, and if it had been his family, he would have expected the clone to leave. So, sure. so he decided to go get a life of his own. But uh, it would have been nice if they had maybe 
maybe plumbed a little bit more of the emotional depths of what that might mean for him. But... Well, and you know that a filmmaker like Cameron or Verhoeven would have. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the thing is like, you know, I, I keep going back to those to those guys. But ultimately, when you're watching these Arnold Schwarzenegger sort of technology-based thrillers, sci-fi thrillers, you just, you've seen too many great examples in the past and you've seen how the themes were really explored. And so when you see them kind of glossed over, like in this movie and used more as window dressing, it's a little frustrating because you know they could do better. If if the, if Arnold just had a history of movies like this where, you know, the uh, all the tech stuff was just kind of cosmetics, mm-hmm. you'd be like, oh, whatever, it's just, you know, that's fine. Different kind of dress up. But we've seen in the past these movies can be brilliant. Well, I mean, you compare it to something like Total Recall, which, you know, you have the the fake personality ultimately deciding that it wants to to live over top of this. Uh, you know the the primary personality, right? Right, uh, and 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 being dealt with in a very interesting way, and and the potential for that to to be in this movie is obvious, but they just don't really uh, they don't really go into it, um, and they I think they 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 could have a little bit more, and they didn't even really go into the whole thing about cloning pets being just normal. It's like Arnold Schwarzenegger's like he doesn't agree with it at all. But everyone else is pretty much like, yeah, it's fine. Although he comes around by the end of the movie. Yeah, he does. But it's, it's kind of like, well, is it a problem? Like, is this fine? I don't know. I think if you asked a lot of people now, would you clone your pet? They would have differing arguments. Some people would be like, no, I wouldn't do that. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, and this movie, you you could have got in. I mean, you don't want to be... Yeah, you don't want to beat people over the head, but... But you could really at least interspersed amongst... Uh, gunfire and special effects you, you could have you know a, a conversation or, or at least explore uh, you know theories of personhood or yeah. uh, some existential issues that other other really effective action movies you know the, the matrix being a good one right. um, were able to do very effectively I think actually total recall did it pretty well and that's usually one of the big strengths of high concept sci-fi right which is you can explore these, I think, interesting philosophical ideas, but you don't have to sit down and read Immanuel Kant for right. for, for eight hours. You can kind of intersp- but, but you can yeah, you can. But you can kind of <laughs> intersperse it with sword fights and people getting hands cut off and sure and, and that and that kind of thing. So maybe that's the main issue, at least thematically, with this movie is it kind of presents itself as a little bit of a high concept sci-fi movie without right. ever really <laughs> delving into those concepts in any way other than totally superficially yeah and i think that's kind of why it is a bit forgotten and you know i guess that happens but it's, it's too bad because you can see just on the evidence of what's on screen and the actors involved that there was potential for something bigger and maybe more memorable mm-hmm. but uh okay but at the end of the sixth day uh, oh jeez. Oh, <laughs> but no. At the end of the day, it uh, it turned out it was again serviceable, an okay action movie, but unfortunately, not a lot more than that. Right. So, is it a movie though that you could see yourself coming back to again and again when you're digging into your Schwarzenegger movies? I could see myself rewatching it again. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to watch it again in the next couple of years. Yeah. But it's one where, 
you know, if someone were to throw on uh, the sixth day, right, as, <laughs> as people are wont to do, <laughs> yeah. Hey, who wants to watch the sixth day? Yeah, bro. Uh, <laughs> Only on Saturday nights because it's got to be a party night. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I mean, uh, I'm sure at some point in my life I'll watch this movie again. I will probably feel the same way about it as yeah. I do now. And as I did then, and I hope you're there, Cam. Yeah, I'm sure I'll probably see it again in my lifetime. <laughs> you know, yeah, I come down on the side of, it's okay, but it's not as memorable as I would have liked for an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. Well, you know, we are, eventually we are going to run out of Schwarzenegger movies. Yeah. And uh, it'll be a question, I guess, as to how we're going to proceed with this podcast. Maybe we're going to have to be doing, you know, the sixth day revisited, or <laughs> we'll watch the sixth day in reverse, which actually that's how they ended the movie. Right. <laughs> Maggie, take two. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, so I think that wraps up the sixth day. So, Tony, I guess next week we're going to tackle The Expendables 2. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this one. We watched The Expendables, uh, I guess it's just The Expendables, not The Expendables 1. Right. Where Schwarzenegger really had not much more than a cameo role. So, uh, I'm looking forward to watching Expendables 2 where he has a little bit more of an expanded role in the film. <laughs> expanded or expended? <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Yeah, I'm looking forward to The Expendables 2 quite a bit uh, as well. When we first started this podcast, I wasn't excited about Expendables movies, but I really enjoyed revisiting the first one. Yeah, I was kind of dreading it as well, but yeah. uh, after watching the first one, I'm I'm eager to see the second one. Me too, me less, too. Less so the third one, but, <laughs> but we'll wait and see. Yeah, maybe when we finish the second one, we'll be looking forward to the third. So who knows? <laughs> if you have any questions or comments, you can email us at arniegeddonpod at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at arniegeddonpod. You can always check out our website which hosts our podcast directly which is arniegeddon.com you can download uh, direct from there and you can leave a comment there if you like right and uh, tony how can they contact you uh you can get a hold of me tony g tony like the name g like the letter at arniegeddon.com you can find me at cam v is in valley comma uncanny smith and uh you can also of course follow me on the uh, star trek podcast subspace transmissions which tony appears on from time to time yeah infrequently we'll call it all right i think you guys just celebrated your 200th episode didn't we you? did we've been going a long time just wait till arnie getting hits 200 episodes yeah there happens to be a crossover out there and you're in the the center of the venn diagram of schwarzenegger fans and star trek fans and uh you should check out cam's podcast uh subspace transmissions as actually well. yeah and if you you know are a fan of predator and star trek voyager Check out the episode we did on The Killing Game, which Tony guest starred on. Yeah. Of course, if you, if you like this podcast, you can download it wherever quality podcasts are hosted, wherever you get it from. If you do like it uh, and you want to give us a rating of some kind, it does help getting our podcast out there. And, of course, the sponsorship deals are rolling in any day now. Of course. Okay. So we'll be back. It's With Expendables 2. But safer to stay at home. For every bear that ever there was, we'll gather there for certain because today's the day the teddy bears have their picnic. Picnic time for teddy bears. The little teddy bears are having a lovely time today. Watch them, catch them unawares, and see them picnic on their holiday.